The Bee. The Bee. The Bee. And welcome to the Beat Podcast. I'm MJ here with BD. What's up? Uh, and this is our Better Late Than Never NBA Finals reaction coverage. Part two. And I think this really gives us a lot of time to, to let everything sink in from the finals and really, really just soak everything in and sort of get a bigger picture of uh, what the finals meant to these two teams and to the individual players. And LeBron's legacy. Definitely. So, what was your initial reaction, BD? Um, I definitely felt you know bad for Cleveland and LeBron because I mean they played really hard to get those two wins and to try to get Cleveland the championship, and I especially felt bad for LeBron because obviously in um, you know when you look at this his legacy in like I don't know maybe a decade or two or longer, people aren't going to know that he didn't have the second and third best player on the team, both yeah. injured. So they're going to see, well, this guy, you know, at least as of now, right, is two and four in the finals. How is anyone going to put him in the conversation with, you know, Kobe, Magic, LeBron, or not LeBron, Michael. Um, <laughs> yeah. And because they all have much better, but obviously Michael Jordan is six for six, you know, Tim oh, yeah. Duncan is five out of six. Um, so I think that'll hurt him there. And like, I think you were saying, Unless Cleveland gets a little mini dynasty of winning, you know, two in a row or something or more, um, it's going to be difficult for him to overcome that. And anyone who's, you know, not a LeBron fan or a LeBron hater or whatever is going to always be able to say he's got a losing record in the finals. Yeah, uh, the way I feel about LeBron James is obviously he's one of the best players ever. Obviously, he's making all kinds of great records in the NBA. Uh, definitely a tough break for LeBron, but I definitely left the NBA Finals thinking about how great the Cavs' future is. Very exciting for Cleveland. It's been such a long journey in such a short amount of time. They get LeBron James back. They get key acquisitions halfway through the season. Uh, they get Kevin Love at the beginning of the season as well. It's almost a completely new roster. They lose Anderson Verizal, a key piece of the team, don't skip a beat, make it to the finals, and have a, actually a decent shot at winning. So they're ending this season on a positive note. Um, actually, just recently, uh, we already know that Timofey Mozgov will be back next year. So that's huge. Sure. If they can get J.R. Smith, Iman Shumpert, um, and, of course, Matthew Della Vadova, they'll be in great shape. Sure. Yeah, I think that is a good positive, like you said. To be able to win two games in the finals with just one superstar should show that this is a good team. And then getting your two superstars back, including your Bear Zhao, to add the more depth and size can definitely be a, a good note. And you can say to yourselves, as long as you know everyone stays healthy, we play smart and hard like we did during the playoffs and the finals, I can definitely see the team making it out of the East again, and then we'll see who they have to face in the West, but they have a pretty good chance of winning it. LeBron knew 
you obviously know when you're down two superstars, your chances are slim, and you're never going to say it publicly, but it's you know it's just an obvious thing. What LeBron really did well in the NBA Finals is had a great strategy. He did everything in his power to buy that team time, slowing down the ball. A lot of times teams will try to, especially if they're ahead, they'll try to wear down the shot clock, and a lot of times it takes the team out of a rhythm and they end up shooting bad shots and the other team comes back. But in the Cleveland Cavaliers case, they really had no choice to try to slow down the slow it down at least in the fourth quarter just because they had a short rotation. They really don't have any playmakers other than LeBron James. That, and that makes just a huge difference, you know, because Le- that means that LeBron James has to create shots for everybody else, every, basically every single play, you know, not including transitions and rebounds and things like that. But I thought he did a really good job of at least putting this team in a position to win. You know, Della Vadova, he got a little bit worn out, really, especially when you get to the last game. He really he really attributed uh, nothing offensively, and you can't really blame him. He's, he's guarding Stephen Curry almost every game, and that's just going to wear you down. Um, it was actually really funny because I remember watching the last game, and, you know, it was, un- it was pretty much unreachable, but J.R. Smith got hot in, like, the last two minutes of the game. Yep. And hit like two or three three pointers in a row, you know. I'm wondering to myself what what would have happened if that happened earlier, but I just think they ran out of gas. So, sure. Obviously, can get to the the Warriors who who won it all. Yeah. Thinking about their uh, you know early obviously Steph Curry's has a long way to go in his career, but you know speaking of his legacy, like we said earlier in one of our other podcasts, it, it's important for a player to to win early on in his career also if you want to be one of the greats because that's what happened to, you know, Kobe and, and Tim Duncan. We'll see what happens um, next year if they're able to repeat, but if not, then maybe you kind of can take the path of Tim Duncan as he was able to, over the course of his long career, make it to the finals six times and win five of those. So I think it's definitely pays off when you, you make it there early on, and I think they played really good team basketball, and went through some really tough competition out in the West because they definitely had a tougher trip to the finals than Cleveland did. But I guess to be fair to Cleveland, they did have you know, key injury to Kevin Love, yeah. so their trip to the finals was, you know, that made it more difficult. But, you know, they had to get past every team that was really good. You know, they had to eliminate Memphis. That was an amazing team. And then Houston had an amazing series against the Clippers. Yeah. So, you know, winning early could mean even if you don't make it to the finals this year or even if you do and lose, you still got one championship under your belt, you know, and if you win in the next two or three years, you win another. That just kind of helps. And then, you know, because that's what happened with Tim Duncan, you know, mm-hmm. they won it in 99 and it took him a few years to win another. But then, you know, they you know, started building up and that's because he was able to win it early on in his career. Whereas, you know, some other guys that played with him, not on his team, but, you know, came into the league around the same time, weren't as fortunate. So I think that that's, that could be a start of a, something very interesting and special for, for Golden State and for Steph Curry because he already has an advantage over all the other point guards because, you know, like Russell Westbrook, he doesn't have a 
championship. Yeah. Uh, same with you know Chris Paul and all the other great point guards today. So I think that's a nice positive thing for this team. And then we said it where we didn't think that a team like that could win a championship. Right. Yeah. I know we both picked Memphis over over uh, Golden State because they were the more traditional team. They had big guys. They defended more on are depended more on um, closer buckets. They didn't depend on the three as much. They were more slow team, more uh, you know big oriented, and in, obviously that has worked in the in the playoffs. But this team kind of broke a lot of trends, yeah, and, and set some new ones because they were able to win in such an unorthodox way, basically playing the style that Mike D'Antoni likes. <laughs> yeah, this is. You know, like except they're, they're actually good at defense, right? Right, yeah. <laughs> but like the the style of, of play that they have is his style. Yeah. I think they were even talking about that in ESPN yeah. after the finals. So I wouldn't have you know thought that it's. I mean, obviously it's possible, but I wouldn't have thought that they were going to be able to do it while they're this young. And it looks like they did. So it might be a start of a new trend. You know, going small instead of big, because that was I think the difference after Cleveland won their second game. Yeah. They switched to that small lineup, and that, that hurt Cleveland a lot. Yeah, Andrew Bogut did a great job all year for them, and he was key in previous playoff series. But for this particular matchup, um, it just worked better for them with him off the court. And uh, they actually played David Lee more because David Lee gives you more scoring, and he's actually going to leave Golden State Warriors in the offseason because he's an all-star caliber player and not seeing a lot of minutes. But, yeah, definitely uh, their style of play is a lot more fast-paced, high-octane. They're a great defensive team, and they shoot a lot of threes, which a lot of times is in a formula for success deep in the playoffs. But they have arguably, he could be the best three-point shooter in the history of the game. I actually think, you know, when I think of the great players like, Michael Jordan, one of the most athletic, all-around player. Magic Johnson is the passing. Larry Bird is known for three-point shooting, but he actually played a lot on the post and things like that, which didn't get a lot of attention. Uh, and, of course, LeBron James, his big thing is his... He, ha- he, he can score like a Michael Jordan. He likes to distribute the ball like a Magic Johnson. And he's extremely strong player who... A lot of uh, interior defenders have a hard time stopping. But with Stephen Curry, you know, he's just like the best three-point shooter ever because, you know, there's different kind of three-point shooters. Some three-point shooters are spot-up three-point shooters. Some three-point shooters shoot off a dribble. Uh, He can do it all. And even though he might not, he'll never have the efficiency of a Kyle Korver because Kyle Korver is not taking as many three-point shots as him. So it's really irrelevant because he's shooting a lot more shots than these other guys, but his ability to make threes is just amazing, and he did a phenomenal job leading this team, their best player, uh, even though Andre Iguodala won the MVP. And I think also, you know, coaching-wise, you know, Steve Kerr made a great decision to put Andre Iguodala in there because I think yeah. he did an excellent job against um, LeBron. Even though, you know, the last two games we were looking at LeBron's efficiency in game five it was minus eleven and then in game six it was minus I think maybe three or four, something like that. So he he still was able to score a lot of points. 
but he had to take a lot of shots. And obviously that wasn't all Andre Iguodala, that was more of a team, but any time that he was, that Andre played against you know, LeBron, it definitely made things very difficult for him. And I think obviously a lot of that is also because he had to do it all. If Kyrie and Kevin Love were on there, he wouldn't have to do as many things, so right. I'm sure that would have a, a lesser impact. But at least for this series, that was a key switch. Having him start and play more minutes, and basically whenever LeBron's on the floor, Andre goes on there. <laughs> yep. Because he is, you know, as big and as strong, so he could physically hang in there with him. And he had some amazing games too. So it was, it was nice to see him win the finals MVP, especially to get recognized for good defensive player winning it. I thought that was, that was pretty nice. That it wasn't just the guy who scores the most points. Yeah. And you could have made the argument that LeBron could have won the MVP, but I think since, um, he had, you know, at least Andre had at least, you know, three or four good games. Think that was enough to, to give him it because you know he was on the winning team. I am actually for uh, a losing team having the NBA Finals MVP, but my my criteria is extremely strict and almost impossible to meet. Like there was a big debate: should LeBron James get the MVP because he played phenomenal? You know he he's the go of their offense, so I think you know he's got to be in the conversation for me. For LeBron James to win that NBA Finals MVP, the last two games particularly, would have had to have been close. If they would have lost in close games, then I would say LeBron James, but because they were more of a blowouts, I would say Andre Iguodala. Andre Iguodala has played off the bench. I think it was a great decision because it, it gave them more depth, especially against other teams. But not every team's the same. Andrew Andrew Bogut played well, but against the Chaos, you know, they didn't really need his skill set. And with Andre Iguodala, they did. I felt like, um, you know, obviously starting him was a big difference. He played huge defense, and he was the difference maker in the finals. Uh, especially when things weren't going necessarily well for the Warriors. Uh, he was really the anchor, emotional anchor. And just really played phenomenal. I think he, he, he's who I would have voted for. And I'm glad he won it. And it's also a good thing because, uh, it just shows that defense is valued and what he brings to the table. And, you know, the, the Golden State Warriors strategy, two, two big strategies changed in this series. The first strategy was to let him get his points, but then, make it difficult for the other guys. And that's why, like, after game one, he made that comment, like, give me 40. You're not going to yeah. give me 40. I'm going to take it or something. You know? So, yeah. yeah, I think it did It did change after after they saw, like, this guy <laughs> shouldn't just, like, we got to make it, make it tough on him. I think it was good, though. First, they let him in single coverage, and they're like, hey, you know, we're not going to double team you. Yeah, make we're not the gonna... other guys work. They're basically just trying to wear LeBron James down. And then later in the series, when LeBron James is worn down, then they started double teaming him and forcing the non-playmakers to make plays. So I think that worked well. So that's one thing that changed throughout the series. The other thing that changed throughout the series is Andre Iguodala went from the bench player to a starter. Yeah, when they went small. And, you know, once those two things happened... It really wasn't even close. <laughs> it was I, the other reason I think it shows how important a guy like that is because when 
when the Lakers were 2010, when they were making their title run, the, the reason why they got Ron Artest was to have a big body like that to guard either athletic, skinny guys like Kevin Durant. Yeah. Or if they met Cleveland, they would have somebody like Ron Artest, who's similar, you know, body style and, and very physical, like Andre Iguodala, to go against LeBron if they met the Cleveland Cavaliers in the playoff. And he was, you know, Ron Artest was very valuable to the Lakers in that series against the Thunder. Because he, he also made, like, Kevin Durant had some horrible um, games in, oh, in yeah. terms of field goal percentage. I mean, he would, it was really, really low, like maybe 20 or like low 30s percentage wise. So, um, yeah, having guys like that that are defense oriented and they can guard those bigger, stronger, or taller, skinny, um, players, uh, is, is very important. And maybe if they didn't have him, maybe Cleveland would have been able to beat them if they didn't have Andre Godala. Exactly. You cannot ask your best player to do everything. Steph um, Curry couldn't guard LeBron no. James, anyways, even if yeah. he wanted to. I mean, Steph Curry is not known as a great defender on this, you know, at least I'm not on the level of Andre Iguodala or anything. Right. But, but like, yeah, for instance, when Chicago Bulls won their first championship against the Lakers, one of the big stories was Scottie Pippen's great defense on Magic Johnson. Right. And, you know, even though Michael Jordan is one of the best defenders in the league, if you ask him to do everything offensively and defensively, right. And then Magic Johnson's not guarding Michael Jordan, so he's not getting word out on defense. It's just, yeah. you know, it's not a winning strategy. Yeah, you can't do that. But I was really just excited that, really, I wanted, obviously, I wanted the Cavs to win, but I do like the Warriors, and I'm happy they won. I'm excited because, you know, they play great team ball, and while Cavaliers did have a good team, the, the Warriors were more of a team than the Cavs. I'm excited for Steve Kerr because, you know, he's got that link to the Chicago Bulls. And I think he will be the next great coach in the NBA. And one thing that was really cool about this finals, and one thing that really annoys me about some NBA announcers, it's not everybody. There's a few NBA announcers who complain every time one of the big market teams uh, is not in the finals. That really annoys me just because... You're never going to be a big market. I mean, obviously, some big mar- some markets are always going to be big because they're big cities and they have a high population. But some of these markets, you know, you're never going to get big if they don't have success. Right. Look at the Green Bay Packers right? in, in the NFL. I mean, they're, it's a very small, I don't know if you want to call it a major city, yeah. but, but it's a very, you know, compared to, you know, like Chicago, and they have the most titles in the NFL. I'm of the camp that... I like to see new teams have success, and then they develop those markets, and they become bigger markets. Right. Um, to me, it's just more of a narrow-minded view. This isn't a big market, you know, and I, I don't like that philosophy. For me, it's like, hey, let's get these new teams in, get more interest around the country, and, you know, they become a big market. Yeah, and it's, it's worked, obviously, in the, in the NFL, and the same shouldn't be any different for um, the NBA. The other thing I I thought was kind of interesting that I'd just been thinking about was, you know, the coaches. I was kind of comparing it a little bit to earlier this season. I was going to talk about also, like, the Lakers-Celtics back in 2010, but maybe this is more relevant to talk about these playoffs. You remember the um, Spurs-Clippers series? Those mm-hmm. are, I would say, the two, at least for me, the two best coaches in the NBA. Yeah. Um, or at least the two smarter than Greg Popovich is a clear, you know, number one by far. Yeah. Whether or not you want to say 
Doc Rivers is, in my opinion, he is. But yeah, he's um, a great coach, no um, question. If you think about like how quickly they were able to make adjustments after each game, they were obviously experienced and yeah. very smart coaches. But then, if you look in the finals, it took I think Steve Kerr a few games to realize what what you know switch he had to make. It took yeah. him two losses. And that's a good coach, too. Right. But he just didn't, you know... But, yeah, so it was kind of interesting. You know, some people were talking about that, and I just kind of started putting it together. It's like, yeah, I, it did take him a lot longer to figure things out. Because you should, you, you know, you would think after that game two loss that you would make some of those adjustments. Yeah. But, you know, it took him a little bit to figure it out. And then the Cleveland coach, Mozgov, um, he had an amazing game. Mm-hmm. Where he had like twenty eight points, and I think I don't. I know, know where you're going with this, right? But then he sat him out the 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 next game. He only played five minutes. Yeah, and, I, th- I thought that was. A horrible I understand decision. trying to match up the same size, but a lot of people were give because I mean he came off of an amazing game. You could have used that, and I was just thinking like how that's you know I think if it was like say you know Greg Popovich versus Doc Rivers, either one of those guys most likely but most likely would have kept the big guy in. Because I understand they're going small and they're playing well, but still, you have a, a tall, big guy that scored 28 points and had double-digit rebounds, I think. You can't, I don't know, that's pretty, I think that would be common sense. Like, he had an amazing game. I could see, like, if you leave him in the first half, if he's not being productive, yeah. okay? But to only have him play a few minutes after one of his best games of the, you know, in the playoffs. So I was just saying, like, I think... You kind of tell how these are newer coaches. Yeah. I think they did a great job, obviously. I mean, Steve yeah. Kerr now is a championship winning <laughs> coach. Yep. But, you know, I'm sure that obviously he's learned a lot. And if next, next year in the playoffs or if they make it to the finals, I don't think it'll take them quite two games to figure something out. Yeah. Like that obvious, I guess. But, and I just felt like, yeah, that, that was one of my big glaring things is I would have, I would have done exactly what BD said is start him as normal. And if things aren't going well, then switch. Right? I mean, it just, it just... I was kind of surprised. Like, I didn't even think about it until halfway through the game when they said, so far he's only played so, you know, so-and-so minutes. And then when they show, I didn't even know the stats that he had the previous game. And I was like, what? Mm-hmm. This guy had almost 30 points. And you're, you know, he had a great game, great field goal percentage, I think. And then he's only playing a few minutes. That just didn't make sense to me. I mean, I just thought that was a horrible decision. You're taking them out of the rhythm by not starting them. You're not playing them a lot. You you have a team that struggles scoring, and you take the one guy who's not named LeBron James out who's scoring. So, I mean, I don't I don't really see any logic to that at all. Sure. And there's always that saying is, you know, when someone plays small, you know, sure they have some advantages, but there are also disadvantages to that because if someone is hot and they're big, well, sure, they can't run up and down the floor as much. But on the other end, you have an advantage because they don't have anyone as big and as strong that can stop the center. And especially if the previous game, right, he was, you know, I would call that on fire for someone like that, yeah, you know. Yeah, So, yeah. But that was just, I think, interesting. I, I, you know, kind of can see a little bit of the difference in coaching level. And obviously, Steve Kerr's, obviously now, like we said, a cha- NBA, you know, championship winning coach, but still. And you know what's funny to me is that's not even like a one of the more intricate things of the NBA. And David Blatt, you know, he's won championships in Europe. And this isn't even like something that's some type of intricate 
right. uh, detail of the NBA that you might not know from overseas. Yeah. This is just more of like a general sure. thing with bas- you know, basketball or probably any sport. Right. You've got a guy caught, you know, now you're not going to play him. Sure. And just I just wanted to add that as my thought process were adjustments are that just because Golden State says they're going to play small doesn't mean you have to play small. That's yeah. It's yeah. all it's all about you know what trumps what. So if by having Timofey Mozgov on the court, you can get more scoring and rebounds, and that trumps what. Golden State's able to do playing small because obviously Mozgov's not you know as quick as a Tristan Thompson at guarding more perimeter, or more outside players. But if if what Timofey Mozgov can do can trump what the extra quick guy on Golden State Warriors can do, you right. should play him. Sure. So just because a team is playing a certain way doesn't always mean you have to follow that. And the th- it's that's why the NBA is all about adjustments. So. Okay, so if you're playing small, you're going to gain fast breaks. You're going to gain a three-point shooting, typically speaking. If you play big, you're going to um, gain uh, interior defense, shot blocking, rebounds, which uh, lead to second-chance points. And you can actually potentially slow the game down if the bigs are playing well. So just because a team is playing small doesn't necessarily mean you have to go small. Exactly. I agree with that. And then I know, uh, BD, you brought up a really interesting topic, which I have a lot of, <laughs> I have a lot of opinions on. So apparently LBJ and David Blatt, not huge surprise here, but don't necessarily see eye to eye. Um, there was some you know, disagreement and LeBron James wasn't super happy with, you know, David Blatt and, um, wasn't obviously happy with some of the plays and calls he was making, and they're definitely, I guess, not seeing, uh, or they're not on the same page. From what the guys were saying on ESPN, they don't think that he'll be gone by next year, but definitely doesn't help you to keep your job if, you know, LeBron James isn't happy with you, because I think if they had to pick, and you saw what happened to Cleveland after he left, they had to pick coach versus player, I think, you know, LeBron James would be the clear, you know, pick. So I, I don't, I guess that's, that's definitely not good, especially to start off the next season. If he does stay, they'll have to work some of that out because they are definitely, you know, title contenders. As of now, I don't see anyone in the East that can really challenge them. There are definitely going to be a lot of teams in the West that I would still say, as of now, the way they're constructed are better. But they're going to definitely need to be on the same page if they want to win the title. And the other thing I, we forgot to mention about LeBron, this is his fifth straight finals appearance, which is pretty yeah, amazing. Definitely. That's, that's I think, a really interesting uh, stat. So. Yeah. Um, it's, not, it's not unheard of for a player and a coach to have conflict. And sometimes, um, you know, this is the highest stakes basketball there is. So... Things like that are going to happen. Everybody wants to win badly. LeBron James has been there before with Spolster, Eric oh, Spolster. Eric yeah. You know, he's a guy that Pat Riley recommended, but obviously, you know, he was a young coach. And, you know, there was some talk with him as well. And obviously, they were all able to work it out. And now, you know, as long as you're winning championships, everybody's happy once it's all said and done. I feel like, you know, LeBron has to be the professional 
Um, Michael Jordan was the ultimate professional, and comparing anybody to Michael Jordan is not fair. He's also from the old school basketball, where things, some of the, the way things were in college, as well as players not going from high school to the NBA, led to a little bit more professionalism than you see some from some of the players after Michael Jordan. But, you know, I remember in, with Miami Heat, he sort of bumped Eric Spolster out of frustration. And then with David Blatt, there was a, during the course of the year, he was arguing a call and LeBron sort of pushed him out of the way. And really, those things should never happen. Yeah, that's, I, I forgot about that with Eric Spolster. Yeah, that's that's ridiculous. You can't do that. I mean, I get it. You know, I've I've actually been a big critiquer of David Blatt, Blatt as well, and I'm not as big as fans. But you still have to be a professional. You can't do those type of things, um, even if you're the best player in the world. You can, obviously. He's done them, and he's going to get away with it. But but you shouldn't do those things. Right. Um, you should keep your professional demeanor. Try to have your arguments with the coach behind closed doors. In the heat of the game, sometimes it's not always going to happen. But, you know, always try to keep your professional demeanor. And, you know, LeBron James sort of got to cut that kind of stuff off. And, you know, it's it's happened very, very minorly. So it's not like a huge thing or anything. But, you know, you can't you can't really be bumping coaches or pushing them out of way. It's just not it's just not the right thing to do. And even if you don't respect the coach, you know, you're sort of stuck with them. So all you're gonna do is hurt the relationship and you know, you're the leader of the team. Yeah. And you're the best the player. Yeah. So when you're the leader of the team and you're the best player in the world, whatever you do is right, whether it's right or wrong. So if LeBron James doesn't respect his coach, why are other players going to respect the coach? Sure. You know, they're going to follow his example. So, yeah, I mean, you just can't do that. I sort of feel like David, I always I always thought Mike Brown was a little bit of a cheerleader coach. <laughs> this is sort of me to say, but I always felt like he sort of kissed LeBron's butt a little bit. And I always felt like David Blatt sort of the same way. You know, this guy's amazing, blah, blah, blah. But really, you know, when I think of the great coaches, Popovich, Phil Jackson, you know, they don't really kiss LeBron's butt, Michael Jordan's butt. Right. Um, Tim Duncan's butt. <laughs> um, Phil Jackson never really complimented Michael Jordan much. And, you know, with Michael Jordan, you've seen the most amazing plays ever. So, you know, after a great series, he might compliment him. And obviously, after they win a championship, he's going to compliment him. But he didn't really compliment him a lot you know, during the game or whatever, um, he was his coach, you know, and that's his relationship. And I don't really, I don't really like what I call cheerleading coaches. I mean, obviously you're going to compliment your player in interviews and stuff, but really even, even though they're doing amazing things and the expectations are unfair, that's what comes to be expected from that player. And that's what you should expect. Um, Steve Kerr, he's got a great relationship with Stephen Curry, but I don't feel like he kissed his butt or anything. And and I got to say one more thing about kissing people's butt. But one thing that Adam Silver does, which really annoys me, is every NBA Finals, he did this last year when San Antonio won, and he did it again this year when Golden State won. He always compliments the losing team. He He almost goes as far as to say, even though they lost, they did a good job, blah, blah, blah. It's sort of like the we're all winners philosophy. And that just really annoys me because they're not winners. They lost. <laughs> so don't kiss her butt. They lost the finals, you know. I mean, you just compliment the winning team, not the losing team. And, yeah, I mean, 
Oh, and that's, well, speaking of uh, Phil Jackson, and maybe then on a slightly light note, did you see where he talked about LeBron? Every time he gets the ball, he's traveling. Did you hear? Did <laughs> no, you hear? I didn't. Yeah. I didn't see that. It was it was pretty funny. It was on. Um, I think it was on. Like I saw it on ESPN. But he was basically, you know, said that most of the time, whenever he like takes a step or whatever, gets the ball, he he travels. So I thought that was pretty funny. Oh, and I did see. You know, Kobe did defend um, LeBron because there were people obviously that you know were pretty harsh on him, but. You know, he, he pointed out the fact that no one should have expected him you know, to win without any help. Obviously, you know, he even went to say, like, you know, like Larry Bird, you know, he had great players, you know, Magic and Kareem and played together. They had, um, who else was it on the Lakers team? Uh, Worthy. Worthy, there we go, yeah. Worthy. And then, you know, obviously the Bulls had Michael Jordan, had Michael... They had... Scottie they had Pippen the, the Bulls had Michael Jordan, Michael Jordan, Michael Jordan, <laughs> Scottie Pippen, and a triangle offense. Yeah. Um, but, and Dennis Rodman in the later three. Yeah. He was an interesting guy. But yeah, it's it's true. So, you know, anyone that's saying, oh, Le- you know, LeBron lost again... I mean, obviously, sure, he did. And like we were saying earlier in the podcast, um, it's going to hurt his career in the long run. Obviously, all of us yeah. now are going to know that this one really... But what can you do? I don't think anyone else would have been able to win with this group anyways. But yeah, I can't blame him this time. Like, when you think of all the great things Michael Jordan was, his greatest asset was he was the greatest competitor. That's what pushed him to be great at everything, all of his different skills. But one thing I like about Michael Jordan is, even if they're going to lose, he's giving you 63 points. He's going through four defenders to score. He never gives up, and when the defense gets tougher, he always he does like the most amazing plays you've ever seen. That's just what that's just what makes him the greatest player in my eyes. You know, I felt I felt like the Cleveland was a little bit deflated. You know, LeBron looked tired. I would have liked to seen him do a little bit more scoring, but regardless, he did a phenomenal job, had phenomenal stats, broke records, um, and and they were not going to beat the Warriors. So. So anybody that really criticizes LeBron for that, you know, that's that's definitely not a fair criticism at all. Yeah, not for this series anyways. There were some with the Heat that they lost that, you know, they could have won. But, yeah, this one. But I, I really like LeBron. Uh, I saw the post-game interview after they lost the finals, and he just looks so deflated because he just wants to win it so bad, and he's just so destroyed. So, you know, my heart definitely goes out to him. I just think he's got to try to... Just go out in a blaze of glory and be happy with it. But, you know, he did a phenomenal job. And, and uh, you know, I'm, I'm just excited. I'm excited. I, I truly believe Cleveland will win a championship in the next few years. And I'm also excited that Warriors are back on the map with their championship because it's been a long time coming. Yeah, 40 years, I think, right? And they're just a really, really great team, an exciting team. They've got a lot of depth. They play phenomenal defense. They're young, too, so they definitely have a chance to win at least one or two more. So we'll see. And it just shows how the philosophy that Steve Kerr brought in, and he he lucked out that they had Mark Jackson before him who laid that good foundation, but bringing in those great things from Popovich and Phil Jackson and Michael Jordan and Tim Duncan and you know the rest of the players on those championship teams... You know, there's all there's all were huge factors in helping this team. And then the draft is coming up soon, so that'll be interesting to talk about that. 
to see if any teams make any big trades. I know right now, Lakers have been on the news a lot. They're trying to get at least one big guy, you know, key player. So we'll see if they can get two or, you know, obviously they have a really good pick. I think a lot of other teams, I mean, Matt, you know, the Magic have another really good pick. Yeah. And then I'll be interested to see what teams like uh, Oklahoma City do because obviously last season wasn't fair because Westbrook and Durant were injured for such a huge part of the right. season. And they still almost made the playoffs, and they had those big runs where they won, you know, a lot of games in a row. So we'll see what they do, because I think, you know, it is time for them, because there's no super team like the Lakers or the Heat around right now. So it is anybody's. Yeah. Um, because how the Spurs were able to win it a year ago, you know, this year we have a different champion. Next year it could be a new champion. It could be Cleveland or, or you know, other teams. And then we'll see what, what Chicago does, because they're... I was, I mean, I was a little bit disappointed that that wasn't at least a seven game series, but, yeah. you know, they, they have, you know, I think, didn't they lead the series 2-1 against Cleveland? I think so. I think, so, you know, they, they have what it takes to be able to beat them, even though, of course, Kevin Love didn't play, but, so, it's, I think it's going to be an interesting offseason, and, you know, Kevin Durant and Westbrook are, it's about time for them to, right. to, to, you know, try to make it the finals again and, and win it. And then if things even got more interesting, there's obviously going <laughs> to there's going to be a lot more that happens in the off season. But Clippers Clip, are amazing now. Yeah. Clippers got Lance um, Stevenson. He's a huge scorer, so that's going to make them even better. Yes, yeah, so that should be an exciting off season. This next season will be pretty fun too. And you know it's sort of funny because the Lakers, the draft, while it obviously it favors the the teams that lose, um, it is a gamble. The Lakers were lucky that they moved up in the lottery. Yeah. They had, if they got like a six and below, they would have got screwed because they wouldn't <laughs> have been able to keep their pick. So the Lakers, like, had a huge home run this year. And it's funny because the Knicks actually, even though they had a, like a high percentage just to get the, you know, one of the good draft picks or whatever, they actually did not do well. Yeah. And it just, it just sort of goes to show you, I'm against tanking. They might have tanked on purpose. I'm, I'm, I mean, obviously their philosophy is to win every game, but the way Phil Jackson sort of alleviated all their good players from duty, sure. um, maybe he was looking towards the draft, but that certainly did not work out for them. Yeah. And this, this is one of the reasons why you don't tank, because you're relying on the draft, and then you don't get the best draft picked. So now you've created a losing philosophy, and you're not getting potentially a great player to make up for it. Sometimes it can pay off, right? I mean, like the Spurs... Back in it's the a 90s, gamble. right? Yeah. When uh, David Robinson went down and they had a horrible record to get Tim Duncan. But now that was a little bit of a different situation because they were already a really good team. Yeah. And they just, it just happened that that one year. They know, were a good he, team he who lost injury. their best player. Right. So that, that is a little bit different. Tim Duncan went to a different situation than most other players do when they go to a bad team. But still. Yeah. Because yeah. the New York Knicks are just a bad team. So even if you get one <laughs> That good, lost their right, good players. Yeah. So, but all right. So that is our NBA Finals coverage. Uh, we're glad you guys tuned in and hope you enjoyed it. It's going to be a great, interesting summer and it'll be a great, exciting next year when the Cavs will win the championship. <laughs> so I'm I'm MJ with BD. Uh, thanks for tuning in and peace. See ya.